Hi ladies, good to see you again. Welcome to week three of CPRT training. So today we're going through the content that you'll give to parents on the third week of conducting your sessions. And again, it's a little bit light of a week because it's really mainly in preparation for the play session. So you're really only introducing limit setting, not getting into the heart of the skill. And then you're able to walk them through being completely ready to start conducting their play sessions the next week after you meet with them for this content. So let's go ahead and begin. If you'd like to follow along with me on your notes, please feel free to do that. It's the parent training section or the therapist manual, either one. So one rule of thumb this week, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And the idea behind that is that parents often will escalate with their children and they will also often de-escalate with their children. In other words, if their child is being very calm and quiet and playing by themselves or not really needing the parent, parents tend to mirror that same emotion and that same framework in which they're operating. Interestingly, same thing, probably more so is true with the aggressive side. So as a child starts to yell, as a child starts to get upset, as a child starts to argue, as a child starts to have conflict, then that same thing happens with the parent. And so be a thermostat, not a thermometer is a helpful rule of thumb because it's reminding the parent of the different functions of each. So be a thermostat, you are wanting to communicate that a thermostat allows for adjustment. Meaning if it's too warm in a room, you can adjust to make it cooler. If it's too cold in a room, you adjust to make it warmer. And so the function of a thermostat is it adjusts and changes based on the environment. A thermometer says what it is. So if it's really hot, the thermometer reads hot. If it's very cold, the thermometer reads cold. And that is problematic when parents are interacting with their children because if the child gets really upset and withdraws, because there's really two ways that a child can go in that kind of dysregulated situation, correct? So they're either going to be extremely externally defiant, so aggressive, violent, hitting, kicking, throwing, biting, screaming, tantrum, whatever, or they're going to be internally processing and they're going to withdraw, get sullen, sulk off, pout, cry to themselves, etc. So, but in either scenario, arguably, if you're thinking in terms of a thermometer, the cool would be the internalizer, the hot would be the externalizer, but neither are healthy. And if the parent just mirrors those emotions and mirrors those behaviors and reflects that back, you know, you're mad, I'm going to be mad, you're quiet, I'm going to be quiet, there's really no modeling of a balanced, calm center. So thermostat allows for that because as the child gets too hot, the parent is the thermostat that brings the adjustment back down cooler and vice versa. And so we've already talked about reflecting feelings, reflective responding early in week one. So the explanation that's given there is reflecting and responding to your child's thoughts, feelings, and needs creates a comfortable atmosphere. And so not only are they being reminded to implement that reflective responding, but it's also helping them to be aware when my child gets out of control, I'm going to remain in control and dial that back down. When my child withdraws and gets too distant, I'm going to engage to bring them back. So it's really almost just recognizing an extreme on the spectrum and redirecting back toward the center. 
And often in my practice, when I'm talking with parents in consultations or whatever, I reference the legal scale. Often a lot of lawyers' offices, their logo has the legal scale as their icon or whatever. And so I always talk about that. I say, you know, every family works toward a balance, but even if you make the smallest adjustment, you take a P off of one side of the scale or you add a P to one side of the scale, by default, the other side of the scale is affected. And that's the principle here is you don't have to adjust a whole lot for the other person in that scenario to be affected by that adjustment. So really helpful rule of thumb this week, especially for parents that are struggling with behavioral issues, aggression, violence, disobedience, things like that. Okay, so once you cover the rule of thumb, you will move into the basic limit setting scenario. And you actually will need to preface this with your parents. This is just a teaser. This is just an introduction. We're not actually going to cover this yet. We're not actually going to practice yet. This is just so that you can see and hear the process of limit setting. And so help them understand ahead of time that they don't need to be really too focused on this because that's what you cover in depth next week. But the process so they can see it and hear it just as an introduction. Sarah, I know you'd like to shoot the gun at me, but I'm not for shooting. You can choose to shoot at and you point at something that's acceptable. So you can choose to shoot at the wall. You can choose to shoot at the dog. You can, no, doll, sorry. <laughs> that came out very inappropriately. Do not shoot at the dog. The doll. You can choose to shoot at the wall. You can choose to shoot at the couch. You know, whatever would be appropriate in that moment. And I know probably you all don't know the process yet either, but it is a three-step process and you'll introduce that next week. So it's just helpful for them to hear it, read it, start to think about it, because like I said at the very beginning, they are learning a new language. And this is something that they are going to have to practice and rehearse and digest and think through and figure out how to integrate this into their everyday parenting. And so it's helpful for them to see it lots and lots of times. You know, there's that rule seven plus or minus two. So in order for you to fully grasp something, remember something, understand something, you need to be exposed to it seven plus or minus two times, which basically gives you a range of five to nine, right? So this is their first introduction. They're gonna have week four, they're gonna have week five, and it's reinforced throughout the training because, you know, I would argue most parents struggle with discipline more than anything else, and limit setting is an effective model of discipline. So you want them to kind of wrap their brain around it early. Okay, so the note under their lines, there where they can actually write down some of their own notes, the note that you might highlight for them is why they're having these playtimes. Because some kids are very curious, some kids are very intuitive, some kids are very aware, and they're, even if they don't ask it, they are wondering why are all of a sudden mom and dad doing these special playtimes with me? And it's helpful to equip them to know how to handle that. So I'm having these special play times with you because I'm going to a special play class to learn some special ways to play with you. And that, while this is not in here, that actually extends to the videotaping because sometimes kids will say, why are you recording this? Who's gonna see this? Why are you putting this on video? I'm going to a special play class to learn special ways to play with you. 
and my teacher is going to help me make sure that I'm doing things in the best way, just like your teacher helps you to learn in the best way as well. So my teacher is going to watch some of this with me to make sure that I'm playing with you in the best way. So that's something you can certainly encourage them with because some kids will absolutely want to know why they're playing with them and or why they're being filmed. Okay, so as always, you come back to the homework at the end, so you can skip that for now. So for your play session do's and don'ts, eight do's, eight don'ts. They do like to be pretty equitable in this training. I've noticed it's usually the same numbers. So really, I'm not gonna go over every word of this with you, but I do wanna hit the main do's and the main don'ts with a very brief explanation for each. The note to the parents at the top, I would actually dwell on that for a little bit before you move into the do's and don'ts because their major task is to just show interest in their child's play, communicate that interest and understanding of that interest of the child's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors back to the child through their words, actions, and undivided focus. Help them digest that fully because you can do all the do's, none of the don'ts, all of the skills, you can work really hard and if it does not communicate to the child, I'm here, I hear you, I understand and I care, and I'm using my words, my actions, and my focus to communicate my interest in and my understanding of what is important to you and what matters to you, the rest of this becomes moot. So their one and only job is to accomplish this note to the parents. Everything else can kind of not really pan out as planned, and that's okay if the child walks away feeling that this took place. So help them really feel encouraged by that, empowered by that, because this is stressful and this is hard. Parents are very nervous about this. Parents feel that they are not equipped. They feel that they are confused. I just did a parent training workshop this weekend and I've already had parents, it was a Friday night, Saturday morning, and I've already had parents, it's Monday, come up to me and say, in the moment I just feel like I don't know what to do. My brain can't work that fast and and the child is asking me something or saying something to me and I can't, use, even though I know the skill, I can't use it in the moment because my brain can't get it out that quickly. So they're going to be very self-imposed pressured, right, for, for these sessions. So help them feel they can take that pressure off. All you have to do is show interest in your child's play and communicate your interest back to them. Everything else will come, but that's the main objective. Okay, so do. They're going to want to set the stage. They obviously have to get the blanket out. They have to get the toys out. They have to use the phrase that they start the session with. So you can play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. Then from that point forward, the child gets to be in charge. But that is the last thing that they will say before the session begins. You can play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. And the note for D there is you always return responsibility to the child. So if the child asks you questions, what does this do? What's this for? How do you do this? What's this called? Etc. You return it back to them. That's up to you. You get to decide. During our playtime, it can be anything that you'd like. So getting back to the, the parent doesn't have the answers, that aligns. You're going to let them have the answers. That's up to you. You get to decide. So that's how you set the stage. It has to be, there has to be freedom expressed in the playtime. 
We have 30 minutes to play and you get to play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. And then the child clearly understands I'm in charge and that's what they want. So that's how you set the stage. You let the child lead. So you will consistently let the child direct, prompt, talk, encourage, whatever. And then after the child tells the parent what to do, then they validate that they understand what the child was expecting. So their examples are, show me what you want me to do. I would argue it's actually more helpful to say, I wonder what you'd like me to do. Because, and show me works, but I just love the I wonder statement. So I would typically encourage parents to use the I wonder statement, but you want me to put that on. And the whisper technique is huge when kids will say, you know, here, you be the mom and I'll be the child and we're going to play dollhouse in the play session. I say, oh, you'd like me to be the mom. And then I wait. And then if they say, you're not, you're not saying what you're supposed to say. Then I say, well, I wonder what I should say. The whisper technique gives that conspiratorial tone to the play. And it almost makes the child feel like you're in it with them together. And that's a really special moment for the parents with their kid. So it's important to let them have that moment where they can use the whisper technique and it becomes like, we're, we're in on the secret together. And of course the, implication is and the child's in charge so you get to tell me and we're in on this secret together so that's a really special interaction and it says modify responses for older kids so instead of whispering you can just use it in a conspiratorial tone like well what happens now so you can see how it'll shift as the parents are working with older kids but the expectation is the same either way so set the stage let the child lead join in the play but as a follower and really all you need to convey to the parents there is you join in the play when asked but you do not take over the parent does not take over can you tell that i'm used to training parents not students for this <laughs> i catch myself all the time talking as if i'm talking to a parent instead of you all as my students so just know that i always mean the parent in that scenario so in this number three they're talking about you, the parent, responding with, you want me to be the robber. That would come after the child says, okay, you're gonna be the bad guy and you're gonna go rob the bank. So instead of just getting up and being the bad guy, the parent's going to say, you want me to be the robber. Or I'm supposed to pretend I'm locked up in jail. Or you want me to stack these as high as yours. So the parent is constantly allowing the child to take it to the next statement, take it to the next directive, take it to the next action. Because let me share an example with you. I was training a mom and she had a five-year-old boy and her biggest struggle was, I don't know how to play with him. I'm great with my daughter. My husband's great with my son. I have a really hard time playing with five-year-old boy. I was never a boy. I don't get the way boys play and we just end up not getting along when I try to play with him. So that's why she was taking the training. And her son told her, here, take these army men and set them up. So per join in the play as a follower and let the child lead, she should have sat there and said, oh, you want me to set these up and waited for her directions. But she started lining them up and she put them all in rows. And then when she finished, he looked over and said, 
no, that's not how you were supposed to set it up. And he flipped the whole, they were kind of setting it up on like a tray. And he flipped the whole tray and the army went over everywhere. And she looked at the camera because they were videotaping the sessions, obviously. And she looked at the camera with this look like, what in the world just happened? So we talked about that. And I said, that would have been a moment to either say, I wonder what I should do now. Or what happens next? Or just sat and said, you want me to set up the army men and waited for him to say, come on, I need you to put this one here and this one here. And then you say, oh, okay, you're showing me where I should put my men. So help them see the value in being patient and letting the child direct what happens. Because otherwise, the parent jumps ahead of the child and then it ends up being a frustration point for the scenario. And just a note, the next week with this mom and this son, she looked at the camera and she went like this and she sat on her hands. <laughs> she spent the whole session sitting on her hands so that she wouldn't jump in and do things that he didn't want her to do. And that was the way that she fixed the problem. And then after that, she remembered, okay, I need to let him be in charge. So, all right, number four, track the child's play. Describe what you see. I typically say, say what you see. So track what the child's doing. Parents usually can get this one very easily. You're stacking the blocks. You decided to drive the train. You're jumping up and down with the jump rope. You're drawing with a red marker. So you are helping them to literally just comment on what they see the child's doing. It's called tracking behavior. Okay, reflecting the child's feelings is number five. Obviously that was week one. They should at least have been practicing that for several weeks now. And it's important to, they have the reminder there, look at the child's face to better identify the feeling. So ties back to week one. That should be one of the easier skills that they can use for this one. Number six, set firm and consistent limits. So limits, and obviously we don't get to limit setting this week, but it's important to set the stage for why limits are so important. And it talks about how it creates a structure for a safe and predictable environment. And when kids are dysregulated, when kids do not have healthy relationships, they have not had stability and consistency. So setting a place and an expectation of safety and security and stability and consistency is really, really important for these playtimes. So obviously children should not hurt themselves. They should not hurt the parent. So that those are the two kind of unspoken limits here. And when you set limits, you encourage them to use a calm, patient, firm voice. So limits are not anxiously set. Limits are not angrily set. They are set in a calm, patient, firm voice. So their examples are, the floor is not for putting Play-Doh on, you can play with it on the tray. And as you go through the limit setting process with them, this will tweak a little bit, the phrasing will tweak as they learn the skill. But for now, this is helpful just to help kind of make sense of this for them. I know you'd like to shoot the gun at me, but I'm not for shooting. You can choose to shoot at something else. So there's the process of firm and consistent limits. It's just neutrally stated, factually stated in a calm voice. And it's only if the child is hurting himself, others, or the toys are getting broken on purpose. Accidents happen. so. Toys get broken, it's an accident, but if the toys are being broken on purpose, those are the three limits. But again, 
You don't need to tell the child, the parents don't need to tell the child ahead of time. They just need to know those are the reasons why they would set a limit should it happen. All right, number seven, salute the child's power and encourage their effort. Verbally recognizing and encouraging your child builds self-esteem and confidence and self-motivation. We get to encouragement week eight, so they're actually gonna be waiting quite a while before they actually are trained in this skill. But again, this do's and don'ts sheet is essentially helping them get an early introduction to everything they're gonna learn throughout this training. And it's just helping them to start to see it early and the value of it early before they even really learn how. So encouragement phrases, you worked hard, you did it, you figured it out, you got it, you didn't give up, you kept trying, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the way they're going to encourage during the sessions. And then being verbally active is the last one. This is probably one of the biggest challenges, especially when parents will say, I had so much swimming around in my brain. I was trying to remember so many things. I was trying to think of the skills that I should be using and the scenarios in which I should be using them. And I just, it was so confusing. And I just sat there and said nothing because I didn't know what to say. That is very, very common. Tell them they will feel that way. Help them accept that as part of the process. They do not need to feel guilty or ashamed or blame themselves for that. That is the way that it works because when you're learning something new, you, sometimes you get frozen because you don't know what to do. So that's normal and set that expectation. You may find yourself not knowing what to say in a moment. Number eight helps address that. So you don't want to have them sit there silently for a long time because it ends up making the child feel that they're being watched. And the point of the play session is connection, relationship, communication. So if the parent's sitting there quietly saying nothing, the child perceives it as they're just watching me. This is an hour playtime. This is my playtime and mom or dad is just watching. So it's important to help them communicate verbally in some way, shape or form. I, in, when I conduct play sessions, I would say every two seconds, I say something. I give my parents a huge break and I say at least every 30 seconds. So if, if you feel that about 30 seconds has gone by, you need to say something. And that's only two a minute. I mean, I think any parent can say, okay, I can say two things a minute. And what usually happens is they end up seeing, saying more than two things a minute. But at the very minimum, you want at least once every 30 seconds you say something. Here's the great thing about this note. When they have no clue what to say, so they're in that moment of paralysis, I just, I can't say anything because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Empathic grunts is the phrase. It's essentially a non-answer, non-word answer that communicates interest and awareness and it's just some kind of verbal acknowledgement, but it's not really a word. So, hmm, ah, oh, mm, I see. I say I see a lot, um, mm-hmm. All of those are those empathic grunts, which essentially fills in that space and it helps the child hear an engaging communication, but it's not necessarily a word or a skill. So encourage them to use those. You know, actually I was watching a, 
play session from Gary Landreth, and he says, mm-hmm, a lot. And that's not one that I particularly use very often. I say, oh, a lot, and I say, ah, I see. So help them find one that fits with their personality, and they can fill in those silences with those empathic grunts. All right, so spend some time on those do's, but really encourage them that as much as there's a lot of do's, they just really need to focus back on that first note that was given at the top. And then the don'ts. Far less to go over here. You can really basically just kind of read them, but you may want to offer a little bit of an explanation, just maybe a one sentence explanation. So don't criticize any behavior. All behaviors are acceptable with the exception of child's hurting you, child's hurting the parent, toys are getting broken on purpose. But any behavior is valid and acceptable. Don't praise the child. I know they have no clue what praise means at this point because that's not until week eight. But help the parent to know the value of being neutral. Don't ask leading questions. So that's why you use the I wonder statement because parents are notorious for asking lots of questions and in the playtime it's for using statements. So don't have them ask leading questions. Don't allow interruptions of the session. That's why they're encouraged to find a spot in the home and a time during the week that there won't be interruptions. So no pets, no phones, no doorbells, no other kids, etc. Don't give information or teach. You don't, parents don't have the answers, right? So they are able to sit and just let the child figure things out, let the child discover, let the child lead. Don't preach, don't initiate new activities. This is a struggle for controlling parents and or when parents are very bored in the session. So it's a pretty common thing for a parent to go, oh, well, do you wanna play with the jump rope? Because they're bored out of their mind that the child's been blowing up a balloon again and again and again and again for 30 minutes. So that's one of those instances where the parent will try to initiate a new activity more for their own purposes than for the child. And so the encouragement to them is don't initiate anything new, but also don't be passive or quiet. And that can be a challenge because especially like I mentioned, they don't know what to say. So they don't wanna be passive and quiet. They wanna be active and engaged. It's a reminder of the be with attitudes down here. And that ties back to their major task at the top their major task at the bottom, convey be with attitudes. And then that box at the bottom, I would argue the note to the parents at the top, the reminder of the be with attitudes and the reminder in this box, those are the three most important things they need to walk away with on this whole sheet. So the box in the bottom says these play session skills, meaning the skills that they're applying and they're trying to implement are meaningless if they are applied mechanically. I have worked with parents that are book-driven, intelligent, I'm going to do this because I can read it and I can memorize it and I can implement it, and you're playing with the blocks. Check. You're excited about that. Check. It's very, very mechanical and very prescribed. And if it's not an attempt to genuinely be empathic with their kid and really meet them in that moment and really experience the play session through the child's eyes, that it essentially negates the entire purpose of the play session. So 
The goal is to understand the child. The intent and attitude are far more important than any words that are spoken. And the only reason they'd be speaking words is if they're trying to use these skills. So that clearly communicates the skills are trumped by the intent and the attitude and the connection that's made. So help them really embrace those because that's really what matters in this first playtime. <clears throat> well, all of them, but essentially, especially this first one when they're nervous. Okay, go ahead and flip the page. You will have them look at the play session procedures checklist. This is a lifesaver for most of them because even though I just made a reference to people checking off the boxes as if that was a negative thing, in this case, this really does help them feel prepared and it helps them have something tangible that they can say, okay, have I done this? Have I done this? Have I done this? So this is helpful because this is before the session takes place. So prior to the session, they have some check boxes and I don't really need to go over those except a few that I haven't really mentioned. Have a clock visible in the room is important. Their parenthetical reference there is wear a watch. I actually encourage parents not to wear a watch because I feel like going like this in the middle of the session every few minutes communicates that I don't really want to be here and I'm waiting for the session to end. But if there's a clock just sitting there, it's much easier to you, for you to just glance and then go right back to the playtime. So I would actually encourage them to have a clock visible and or set a timer for the 25 minute mark. And when the timer goes off, that will remind them, okay, we have five minutes left. And then it doesn't communicate to the child that they're not interested. The only other thought is make sure they hit record because that is a struggle. It gets forgotten, it gets deleted, it gets erased, it gets whatever. So the videotape is important. So make sure that that is done well. And kid going to the bathroom before is also important. Okay, so beginning the session. The hang, do not disturb sign is helpful for just the visual representation of no one can bother us. This is our special time, so they can hang that up. And then this is where that prompt comes in. We have 30 minutes of special playtime. You can play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. Then the child gets to lead. So the beginning of the session is probably the easiest once everything else has been taken care of. Okay, the only thoughts during the session that I haven't really addressed yet, try to encourage them to be on the same level as the child. So sometimes, you know, the parents maybe are on the couch and the child's on the floor, or the parents in a chair and the child's on the floor. Same level is helpful. It's a reminder of the toes follow the nose, rule of thumb. Voice should vary with the intensity and affect of the play. So as the child gets excited, the parent's voice gets excited. As the child gets frustrated, the parent's voice lowers in tone. So it varies based on what's happening in the session. The child gets to identify the toys. This is so important. Until the child tells the parent what the toy is. So let me give you an example. This morning at my practice, I have mini corn on the cob plastic food for my grocery center. It's essentially like Indian corn colors, but so it's like a really deep orange and like a brownish color and yellowy orange color. Anyway, but it's clearly miniature uh, corn cobs. But my little guy picked it up and I said, oh, you picked that up. 
would have been very easy for me to say, you picked the corn up. But I said, you picked that up. And then he said, a carrot. I said, you picked up the carrot. But had I said you picked up the corn, it was not where the child was going with that play. So same scenario there. What looks like a car to you might be a spaceship to your child, to the, your parents' child. So this, that, it, those, any nondescript words are helpful. However, once the child tells you what it is, then the parent is able to use it. So from that point forward, I called it a carrot because he had already told me that he thought it was a carrot. So as soon as it is identified by the child, then you continue with that metaphor for the child's sake. Okay, if the child requests their participation, they actively participate, but they wait for the invitation and they're still going to be verbally reflecting all of the reflective responses. So tracking behavior, reflecting content, reflecting feelings setting limits on behaviors if they are uncomfortable. And again, they haven't learned the process yet, so just as much as they're able to in those moments, especially before they've learned. And then give a five minutes advance notice for the session to end. So Billy, we have five minutes left of our special playtime. That's why I recommended the timer going off at 25 minutes if you're setting a timer, because it's helpful for the child to have the moment to have closure, wrap up. You know, I always tell parents, it'd be like you're right in the middle of an adult therapy session with your therapist and you're mid-sentence in the heart of whatever's going on and the therapist goes, okay, sorry, time's up for today. See you next week. You need some time to wrap up. You need some time to have closure and to kind of, you know, bring some, some kind of termination to that conversation. And kids are having a conversation with their toys. So a five minute warning is very helpful to kind of help them prepare to finish up. If they want to help clean up, they can. If not, they'll continue to play until time's up. The book says give a one minute notice. I prefer a two minute and you can tell them either, but I feel like two minutes gives them enough time to actually do what they needed to do. And one minute goes by really quickly. So, but they need to give a five minute warning and a one or a two minute warning. Okay, so prior to, beginning, during, then ending the session. When the 30 minutes are up, the parent is to stand. And that's underlined for a reason, because as they stand, they are non-verbally communicating that they are done playing. Session is over, I'm standing up because we are out of time. And then they calmly say our playtime is over for today. And they recommend, not to exceed the time limit for more than two or three minutes. A lot of kids have a hard time wrapping up a play session. Hold on, I just wanna do this one more thing, or I'm almost done, I, or I wanna keep playing forever, or whatever the excuses are, that's very normal. And parents can patiently kind of give the child the time to finish what they're doing, but not to exceed more than two or three minutes. The parent cleans up, that's very, very important. Child can help if the child chooses to, but parents should not ask for help, nor should the parent expect help. That is the parent's job. The child gets to play, the parent cleans up. And if the child continues to play while cleaning, which they're very creative with the way that they get what they want, right? So they will say, 
oh, well, if I say that I'm helping to clean, I can keep playing. So that will happen too sometimes, but the limit gets set if that's true. And then if the child has difficulty leaving, begin to put away the toys. The parent can just start packing up. Another thing would be to reflect their feeling about not wanting to leave, but state that the playtime is over. So, you know, I know that you'd really like to keep playing, but our playtime's over for today. And restate the limit as many times as needed. The goal is for the child to be able to stop herself. Some parents have a really, really hard time with that. That is also okay. Help them to feel that they can patiently wait for the child because the alternative is the child learns, I don't have to control myself and I don't have to make any decisions. Someone else is going to do it for me. But self-responsibility and self-control is a really big lesson there. So add a statement that gives the child something to look forward to is also very helpful because that allows the parent to almost redirect the attention while still maintaining the expectation of the playtime being over. So some of the examples they gave is, you can play with the toys next week, it's time for snack, and then offering some snack choices, or we can go outside and do something else. And it really kind of serves two purposes. One, it's corrective in that it helps them abide by the limit, but it's also redirective in that it gives them something else to think about. So it no longer is whether or not I want to end the playtime, it's whether or not I want grapes or cherries or whether or not I want to go play on the trampoline or something like that. So you're essentially giving the parents a little bit of freedom to get the child's mind off of the ending the playtime. And the note at the bottom, patience is the order of the day when helping the child leave and it is okay to repeat that several times if necessary. The key is showing empathy and understanding in the tone of voice and the facial expressions when the limit is being stated. And younger children may need more time to hear the limit and respond. So that's important for parents to know. The child's two, three, four, five, they're going to naturally, developmentally, cognitively need more time to process that choice than an eight, nine, 10 year old. So just helping them understand Kids are not cognitive beings anyway, but the younger they are, the harder it is for them to make sense of those choices. So they need to be patient. They need to state it several times. They need to give them the space to think through the choice and make the decision. And in the box at the bottom, if, if you haven't noticed the theme, boxes in the bottom on this training are extremely important. So never use special playtime as a reward or a consequence. Parents have to know that. Because otherwise it becomes, you know, if you keep acting like that, you're not getting our special playtime today. It becomes a punishment. Or if you're really good, we'll get to do our playtime today, becomes a reward. If I said that backwards, I, I don't know if I did, but I might have said it backwards. So it's never a consequence nor a reward. You can't earn it, nor can you lose it, no matter the child's behavior for that day. There can be other consequences and there can be other rewards. But the playtime does not hinge on how the child behaved. The playtime's role is to connect the parent and the child. So if they had a horrible, terrible day, they need the playtime more than ever. So it cannot be taken away as a consequence. And they cannot be bribed to behave well to earn the playtime. So that's a really important note there for parents to understand 
This is offered because this is what I want to do. I want to connect with you. I want to have a fun time with you. I want to play with you. And there's no you know, prerequisites or expectations associated with that. All right, and flip last page of session three, you will see a photograph that they will be able to look at. So, I'm, I know you won't be able to see very well, but you'll have it in front of you, so just for a visual reference. So as you can see, the toys are set up in a U. You need to help them understand the process of setting up the toys on the blanket. Toys are always going to be grouped by category. So if they look back at their week two toy list, there are three categories of toys. So in this particular photo, all of the acting out aggressive toys are here. All of the creative artistic toys are down here and all of the real life toys are over here. There is not a specific order. So if they want the aggressive toys over here and the real life toys over here, where they are set up does not matter, but they are always set up in the same place. So grouping also does not matter. If one week the bottle's at the top and the next week the bottle's at the bottom, as long as the same category of toy remains on that side of the play area, that's all that matters. So help them understand that, help them to see the visual. And it's also, I usually communicate to the parents, do you see how it's very clear where you enter into the play area? It's very welcoming and inviting to walk in and be surrounded by toys. So you leave one side open because you want it to create a you that the child can have toys everywhere around them. So groupings of toys do not matter other than the same category remains in the same place each week, but they do not necessarily have to be in this arrangement. So if the parents begin with a completely different grouping, that's okay as long as it remains the same consistently throughout. All right, so then flip back to the homework and I'll go over that with you quickly. It is important in this week actually in all of the weeks, but specifically this one, you will need to print out the supplemental materials for your parents. So in the appendices of this book, there are the supplemental handouts and materials. This week, the appointment cards are in there, the do not disturb signs are in there, and the they actually have a four page it essentially creates a poster. It prints on four separate normal size papers, but the parent can tape them together and create a big poster. And it actually gives them kind of a visual cue and reference for how they should be remembering things during the play session and things like that. So it gives them a big poster to hang on the wall if they want visual cues. So all of those are in the supplemental materials for this week. So make sure that you print those out, give them to the parents, they are going to, as the first homework assignment, complete the toy kit if that wasn't already completed, get their blanket and quilt and other materials, and confirm that they've made arrangements and that their time and day is set. Second assignment was give the child the appointment card. And if you go into the appendix, you'll see that there's like a young child appointment card and an older child appointment card. The younger one has a teddy bear, I think, and then the older one has something a little bit more mature. So you'll want them to be able to hand that to the child 
And the message when they hand that card is, it's almost like if you go to a doctor, you get an appointment card reminder. It's really important for the child to feel that this is something very important and very significant and very special. So look, here's our reminder for the playtime. And it makes a note, one to three days ahead, depending on the child's age. The younger the child, the closer to the actual playtime they need to be given the card. The older the child, it can be up to three days in advance. But you know, for a three or four year old, three days is three years. So the parents need to be sensitive to how much in advance of the play session they give the card to the child. And then the do not disturb sign, that is such a fun thing. If parents really embrace this and do this seriously, it's, it's a really special thing that they can do with their kids. And the child gets to be in charge. So they get to make this do not disturb sign they let the child lead. It's essentially their practice for the play session because the child gets to decide how to decorate it. The child gets to decide what to do with it. The parent participates if asked, but it becomes a collaborative project where the parent just kind of lets the child take over. And you know, some have, I had one that actually took the, the paper handout that I gave and like laminated it and glued it onto a wooden door hanger. So then it was more of a permanent thing. I had some that printed it on cardstock so it was sturdy. I had some that, you know, actually just laminated it and left it as a laminated tag. But it has been colored with markers. It's been painted. It's been macaroni glued. It's been Cheerio glued. You know, and that's a special thing because the child's getting a taste of what it's going to be like when they get to be in charge and mom or dad just lets them do whatever they think is fun and creative. So. Doing that together is helpful. And then prior to them actually doing the session, they're going to read over the do's and don'ts that we just went over, and they're going to go over the procedures checklist. So that's their homework. The only two that they actually need to do other than just preparing is the appointment cards and the do not disturb tag. And then they will need to sign up for when they're going to share their videos. So if you have a parent that's going to be really brave and Veronica, you were brave to take week one in our class. So if they have, if you have a parent that's really brave and says, I will take week one, you know, everyone can watch my video first, then they need to check on their homework assignment that they're bringing their video next week. And then you'll just assign those as they come. Make sure that every parent gets at least one week to share. For those of you that have smaller groups, they'll get the benefit of having maybe two or three weeks where they get to share and they get more feedback and more perspective from you as their trainer. So that is week three. It's really kind of the last time you have to be with them before they begin their play sessions. So they're probably going to need a lot of encouragement. They're going to need a lot of stress relief. They're going to need a lot of trust that they need to just believe in the process and they need to let it unfold and practice your reflecting feelings, practice your encouragement, practice all of the skills that you're helping them to learn, practice them, meet them where they are, understand what they're going through, reflect their feelings, and that will model for them what they're going to be doing with their kids. So I'm really looking forward to hearing how your week goes. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me and I will see you on Thursday. Bye.